I want to ask you if you're glad to be here because I can already tell you are. Amen. Isn't it a great day? Oh my gosh. So wonderful. Okay, I stood over there on the back wall and here's what I sang. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. And I need you to know something that because of the week I've had, that phrase took on a little bit more meaning for me. I'm going to tell you more about that in a bit. It's a story about my wife. But today is a service about evidence. I see the evidence of God's goodness actually everywhere I look. I see the evidence of his goodness in this room, the joy, the worship, amen. Christ is risen, we're here to declare it. I see the evidence of his goodness on all these little sticky notes up here. That was 32 hours of prayer, people writing down prayers, names of people they're praying for, covering this whole room in prayer. I see the evidence of God's goodness. And I see the evidence in the fact that uh, 15 and counting people are getting baptized tonight at 5 p.m. How great is that? Please come back for that service, five o'clock. I promise you, you will be so blessed. And what I want to do this morning, by the way, I've got a little fire in my belly. I'm going to preach today. Is that all right? You're going to, you, okay, but you have to help me preach because I can't do all the work. You got to encourage me on. But I want to tell you the story. Thank you. Keep it up. I'm going to tell you the story of uh, a moment in my life where I saw the evidence of the resurrection of Christ more clearly than I've ever seen it. It happened in the most unusual place. I was out at a ranch in central Oregon called the Big Muddy. Ever heard of the Big Muddy? It became Wild Horse Canyon, then it became, there was a couple of other names, now it's Washington Family Ranch. This was the property where the Bhagwan Rajneesh had come and he, he built this massive community and then that got seized, it got donated to Young Life. Young Life turned it into a Young Life camp. And what happened to me when I was young in the ministry, I got a phone call from my regional director and said, hey, we're doing the first summer of camping out there. I want you to go out and do uh, one of the months of program. The program guy is sort of the crazy upfront guy doing the games and skits. So I was like, I'd love to do that. So I did what every Young Life program director does. I grabbed my fake teeth, my mullet wig, my straw hat, and I, and I headed out to, to yeah, that, that's real. Look at Kathy. She looks like a baby in that picture. Somebody's like, that wasn't really you. Unfortunately, that is me, all right? Please take that down. Anyway, I was, I was Billy Bob, a chicken farmer from Madras, right? Whatever. And uh, we, we, we were out there serving. It was amazing. We were a part of a team with a lot of young, younger staff people. And our speaker was a really gifted speaker, but he'd never spoken at a summer camp before. So what happened was we got to the last day of camp, which what happens in the last day of camp, you're in club and they call it the say-so. And the say-so is the moment where the speaker says, okay, everyone who's put their faith in Jesus this week, we just want you to stand up and we're gonna pass the mic around the room and you just get to say so. Talk about what Jesus has done in your life. And he put out this call and you know what happened? Almost no kids stood up. Like maybe five kids stood up. And I was sitting there and, I, and, then I, and then it dawned on me, oh my gosh, the camp speaker did not mention the resurrection in his last talk. He did not tell kids that Jesus rose from the dead. He gave amazing talks all week, powerful. The cross talk was powerful, but on the last message, he forgot to mention the resurrection and no one came to Christ. And then the very next week, 
He fixed that. We, we mentioned it to him. It was our loving service to him. Same talks, end, end of the week, talks about the resurrection, says, stand up if you want to follow Jesus. 225 kids stood up and put their faith in Jesus. Amen. I learned something that day. I learned something. You can talk about the cross. You can talk about the teaching of Jesus. You can talk as much as you want about Christianity. But if you don't talk about the resurrection, all of the power of the gospel will drop out of the middle. Because it doesn't matter if Jesus died on a cross, if he's still in a tomb, he won't be able to save you. The most powerful evidence for the resurrection is what happens when it's absent. To deal with the fallout of the resurrection being neglected or ignored, or maybe worse yet, disbelieved. How about you? And Paul uh, wrote about this in his letter to the first Corinthians, um, to the Corinthians, his first letter. He wrote a letter to them where he, he basically used this very argument. He said, what, what would be the logical fallout of there not being the resurrection? I want to read you a couple verses. Here's what he said. He said, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Apparently in Corinth, there were believers, even in the church, who did not believe in a bodily resurrection, which is interesting. They, they considered themselves to be Christians, and scholars wonder, you know, maybe they were influenced by Greek philosophy. They viewed the human body as like a, a prison, and so the idea of going back to a new resurrected body was weird for them. But either way, these are people who claim to be Christians, but they don't believe in the resurrection. The modern-day equivalent might be uh, people who, people who you know, consider this, themselves religious, spiritual. Maybe you come to church every once in a while. You, you like Jesus, but in your head you're thinking, but come on, a actual physical bodily resurrection. I mean, we don't really believe people are raised from the dead, do we? There's more than one way to deny the resurrection. You can deny it outright, I don't believe in it, or you can deny it functionally by saying that you kind of believe spiritual things, but you turn the resurrection into sort of a metaphor. Either way, the results are catastrophic. And what Paul does now, and I'm gonna read it in a second, is Paul uses a form of logic uh, called modus tollens, where he sa what he says, he says, okay, I'm gonna let you deal with the ramifications of your own opinion, your own view. You say there's no resurrection. Let's pretend for a minute that you're right. And now here are all of the things logically that must be true if Jesus did not walk out of a tomb bodily 2,000 years ago. And here's what Paul says next. He says, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, futile. And you're still in your sins. And then those who've fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, whatever your reason is, 
You want to claim there's no resurrection? Let me allow you to work out all of the logical ramifications of that view. And Paul says, it's catastrophic. There's five. I'm going to work through them briefly. They get increasingly more devastating. Number one, I'm going to put this up on a slide. If Christ was not raised bodily, preaching is useless. See that word vain? That's like a vapor, empty. It's, it's, there's nothing. There's no content. There's nothing significant. It's a, that word shows up in the book of Ecclesiastes over and over. By the way, we start a new series next Sunday in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But Paul basically says, if Jesus did not literally and bodily walk out of a tomb, preaching is probably the dumbest thing a person could ever do. We're wasting our time right now, people. We should just go to brunch together. Let's have an Easter egg hunt. Okay, if Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily, the Easter bunny has something more profound to say to you than a preacher standing in front of a church preaching the resurrection because he wasn't raised. So this is useless. The resurrection is the completion of the cross. If you take away his bodily resurrection, there's nothing to announce. There's nothing to see here. It's just another religious fanatic who was martyred. If Jesus is still in a tomb, preaching is useless. Not only that, Paul goes on. Here's the next slide. It gets worse. Not just preaching. You know what else is useless? Christianity. Christian faith is completely useless. That word that he uses there, the word faith, uh, when he says faith is in vain, he's saying more than just your personal subjective belief in something. He's, that's shorthand for the Christian faith system. And what he's saying is that Christianity as a belief system becomes meaningless if you remove the ultimate object of that system who is the risen Christ. If Christ was not actually raised bodily, Christianity has nothing to say. There's no hope, there's no cure. The good news is not good news. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter if you think about it for other faith systems if there wasn't someone raised. For Buddhism, it makes no difference whether Buddha walked out of a grave. You ever thought about this? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to Islam if Muhammad did not walk out of a grave. But for Christianity, it's everything. It devast the bottom drops out of the entire faith. And it doesn't matter how hard you believe in something. Imagine if I told you there's a chair right behind me. And I said, I believe it so much that I'm going to sit down. And it doesn't matter what you tell me. There is a chair behind me. No, I'm telling you right now. Look at me. I'm there's a chair behind me right now. I'm going to sit down. Should I do it? No. You're like, you'll be dead. You can't preach next Sunday. And then we can't see each other because you're all coming back next Sunday, right? So it it my faith, the strength of my faith is meaningless if I don't believe in something that is actually physically and historically accurate. And this is why, if you think about it, this is why in the history of our world, ever since the first Christians started preaching, the primary point of attack against Christianity is always about the resurrection. People know. If you can disprove the resurrection, you destroy Christianity. It becomes meaningless. So read history, read philosophy, Read all the thinkers of the world. They always, when they want to attack Christianity, they start with the resurrection. 
Sometimes they make fun of Christianity. Sometimes it's a little deeper. Um, I remember reading a quote by John Lennon in 1966. He was quoted kind of making fun of Christianity, and he, he started with the, the resurrection, and, and here's what he said. He, he, he said, I promise you, Christianity will end. It's going to vanish and shrink. I don't need to argue about that. I know I'm right. I'll be proved right. And then he said, referring to the Beatles, we're more popular now than Jesus. Dude, step back before the lightning strikes, right? We're more popular than Jesus. It was all about the resurrection. Here's what he said next. He said, Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. Now, I consider myself to be thick and ordinary. But when someone says that to you with a British accent, it seems to be more insulting for some reason. I don't know why. Okay? I've been called thick and ordinary before. He said it's, it's them twisting everything that Jesus said that ruins Christianity. Or sometimes, sometimes the, the resurrection is rejected by people who even claim that they're Christians. I remember one time a debate between a famous atheist philosopher and a Unitarian minister. The, the minister's name was Marilyn Sewell. She was having a debate with Christopher Hitchens. He had written a book called God is Not Great, and they sort of went at it, and publicly it was filmed. And here's what she said to him. She said, the religion you talk about in your book, God is Not Great, is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. She said, I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement. I don't believe that Jesus actually had to die for sin. I don't believe in the bodily resurrection. So she said, do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? And here's what Christopher Hitchens said. I love this quote. He's so quick on his feet. He said, well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, that he rose again from the dead by a sacrifice for our sins, you're not really in any meaningful sense a Christian, actually, which is devastating when an atheist has to point that out for you, by the way. <laughs> And before you think he's a hero, he immediately said, I personally think believing that Jesus rose from the dead is the adult version of believing that a man in a red suit comes down your chimney on Christmas Eve. I think it's ridiculous. And do you want to know what? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Christopher Hitchens is right. But wait a minute. What if Jesus did rise from the dead? I'm getting ahead of myself. Number three, it gets worse. Christianity is useless. Preaching is useless. Look at this. Paul says next, verse 15, not only that, resurrection preachers, resurrection proclaimers, they're liars. They're liars. Do you see that? You know, it's interesting, the phrasing in verse 15, what he's really saying, he's saying this is a knowing deception. This isn't an honest mistake. They weren't, they weren't mistaken, they're testifying to something that they know is not true. They're saying they saw something they didn't see. They're saying God did something he didn't do. It's interesting, in the earliest days of, the, of Christianity, apostles, in order to be an apostle, you had to be someone who witnessed the risen Christ personally. So John would say in one of his letters, we saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. Being a witness to the risen Christ was what you had to be in order to be an apostle. 
And, and what, what Paul's saying is if Jesus was not raised from the dead, the apostles, the people who are responsible for the New Testament are liars. So the New Testament's a sham. My job is meaningless. It's a waste. I'll put up uh, earlier in chapter 15, Paul says it like this. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that, look at this, he appeared to Peter, Cephas is Peter, and then to the 12. So you had to be, see the risen Christ to be an apostle. But look what Paul does next. This is absolutely breathtaking. The very next verse, I wonder if you've ever read this verse. Then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Did you know that's in the Bible? 500 people saw the risen Christ together. And you know why that matters? This is why it matters. Because people will say, well, of course the apostles claim they saw the risen Christ. That's how you keep a religious movement going. You need that kind of a hoax. They probably stole the body. They wanna keep power. That's what religious people want. They wanna keep power. So they're making up something. But now you have the apostle Paul who wrote this letter 20, only 20 years after Jesus died. Even, even non-Christian scholars agree. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He wrote it 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That'd be like me writing about 9-11. Paul saying 500 people at one time saw Christ raised. There's no way Paul could get away with that statement if it wasn't true, because many of those people are still alive. There is irrefutable historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And you know what's interesting? People still want to disprove it. So David Hume, who's a famous 18th century philosopher, he didn't believe in anything supernatural. So David Hume said, I would rather believe that 500 people cooperated on a grand hoax. It's easier for me to believe that than to actually believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I choose to believe that one. Interesting. Or Bertrand Russell, who was a British philosopher in the 1900s, a logician, he too is an atheist. He wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. In his book, he said, you wanna know the number one reason why I reject Christianity? You won't believe this. He said, because Jesus was a liar. Because Jesus told his disciples he was gonna rise from the grave many times. Bertrand Russell knew he had colleagues who were not Christians who would say, well, I don't believe in the deity of Christ, but I, I think Jesus was really wise. He was a good teacher. He was moral. And Bertrand Russell realized, no, he wasn't. He was either Lord or he's a liar. He, he's, he should not read his teaching. You should not follow his way. And you know what? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Bertrand Russell's right. Jesus is a liar. You shouldn't follow him. Don't follow him. But what if he did rise from the dead? Two more. They get more and more devastating. If he didn't rise from the dead, do you know what that means? Sin's power is unbroken. Your faith is futile because you're still in your sins. See, people think that Christ dealt with sin on the cross, and that's partly true, but only if he rose from the dead. If Christ did not rise, then he lost the battle with sin. Sin killed him. The grave held him. His death is no different than any other death, and he certainly can't provide salvation for you. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Good Friday is just Friday. The New Testament teaches that the resurrection was God saying, yes, I accept your sacrifice. It was the God of the universe seeing the, the sacrifice of Jesus for human sin and saying, I validate that. I see how you've suffered and I accept it. And the way I'm gonna demonstrate that is by pouring out my spirit and raising you from the dead so that you can walk out of a tomb. Amen? But if he didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. Your sin, cling you have to deal with your own sin. It clings to you. So it's devastating. And then lastly, if he didn't rise from the dead, there's no hope beyond the grave. No hope. The argument in 18 and 19 goes like this. If he didn't rise from the dead, people who thought he did, people who thought their sins forgive, were forgiven when they died, they just perished. They thought they were hoping, verse 19, they thought they were hoping for the future. They were only, that hope was for the present only. That's Christians are the most pathetic people on earth if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. No resurrection. There's no hope for anything beyond this short, often painful, broken, discouraging, tiny little, we get one little spin around planet earth. And whatever deck you get dealt, that's your lot in this one little life you get. And for some of you, that, that might be filled with pain, brokenness, illness, loneliness, unmet expectations. How incredibly discouraging would it be if this life was the only life? And that would be the case if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Nine months ago, almost to the day, my beautiful wife, Kathy, was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer. She started bleeding, and so they did a colonoscopy, and they found in her colon, pretty far down, they found a six-centimeter tumor, and it was really ugly. Um, they call it colorectal cancer just because typically people in public don't like to just say it's rectal cancer, but it's, it's rectal cancer, all right? And it was, it was bad. And so we dealt with that news and we started treatment. I watched my wife suffer over the last nine months in ways I could never imagine. It was brutal. But because my wife is a woman of incredible spirit and faith and a great sense of humor, she came to me one day and she said, I, I think I'm gonna give my tumor a name. I wanna name my tumor. She said, I wanna name my tumor after one of the demons in the New Testament, Beelzebul. She named her tumor Beelzebut, okay? <laughs> and we have now lovingly referred to the tumor as Beelzebut and people in the church have been praying an exorcism over Beelzebut. <laughs> I got cards in the mail from beautiful 85-year-old ladies, prayer warriors, saying, Beelzebub, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out, okay? And I receive it in faith. And what happened was I watched, not only did I watch my wife suffer, but I watched how deep and wise and true my wife's faith is. A couple weeks ago, she said, you know what's amazing about this journey? I would never take this back because I've learned things about my relationship with Jesus that I would never have learned. Verses that I used to read and go, yeah, that's probably true. Now I'm like, that's absolutely true. Like, 
God is my refuge? Or do you remember when Paul, she said this, do you remember when Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain? She said, that's actually true. I believe that now more than ever. Well, on Thursday, we met with our colorectal surgeon and our oncologist, and they told us that Kathy's tumor is completely gone. She is cancer-free. She's cancer-free. Beelzebub, be gone. But I'm gonna tell you something, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Even if I lost my wife to cancer, I would be standing here this morning with just as much joy as I am right now. You don't think I mean that, but I mean it with all of my heart. And Kathy gave me permission to say this. And the reason for that is because I know for a fact this life is not the only life. There's life beyond the grave. There's something better to look forward to. This is not the only life. And if you believe this is the only life, even if you're temporarily cured from something, it doesn't matter because there's no hope beyond this tiny little spin on planet Earth. See, wait a minute. What if Jesus was raised from the dead? That changes everything. And so now, let me take those five statements and say them to you in the positive. Because this is what Paul says in verse 20. He says, in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And you know what that means? Number one, preaching is powerful. Resurrection preaching is powerful. Not because of the preacher. It has nothing to do with me. Because of the preached. Someone faced death and won. Someone laid in a tomb and busted out in power. And now he's seated on the throne of the universe and he's pouring out his Holy Spirit right now in this moment as I proclaim to you the fact of the resurrection. Amen. 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 Christ was raised from the dead. So if you're sitting here and you're new to church and you're thinking, this, you know, this, something's different happening here. I like this. Come back next Sunday. Let's make this a thing, okay? I don't want to wait a year to see you again. I like you. Come back next Sunday. Let's not make this an Easter only, all right? We're going to start the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us next Sunday. Preaching is powerful. Not only that, Christian sister and brother, can I tell you something? Your faith is meaningful. It's not useless. Your faith matters. Your faith is real. It's directed towards the Savior who reigns right now. Think about this. If Christ was raised, and I'll change that, since Christ was raised, do you realize what that means? That means that Jesus and Christianity is not just one option among a lot of other philosophies or worldviews or religions. It's not like a buffet line. You walk down and pick and choose what you want. No, one person was raised from the dead. And you can build your life around him. Where else are you going to go? What philosophy are you going to read and pursue? What religious teacher are you going to look to to find meaning in your life? Can I tell you something? Christopher Hitchens is dead. He died on December 11th, 2009, and he donated his body to science. Bertrand Russell is dead. 
He was cremated and, he, and his ashes are spread over the mountains in Wales. David Hume is dead. Nietzsche is dead. Sigmund Freud is dead. Aristotle's dead. Plato's dead. Socrates is dead. Immanuel Kant is dead. Even Dr. Seuss, all of the great philosophers are dead, except for one. His name is Jesus. He walked out of a tomb. And let me tell you something. You can build your life around him. Build your life around him. Elvis is dead. I hate to break it to you, but it's true. Elvis is dead, okay? And so is Tupac. And so is John Lennon. But also, Confucius is dead. Buddha's dead. Muhammad is dead. The Rajneesh is dead. Ron Hubbard is dead. They're all dead, except for one. He's alive. And you can follow him. And you should follow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number three, since Christ is raised, I'm not a liar. I've been accused of a lot of things. John Lennon called me thick and boring. But I'm, there's one thing that I'm not. I'm not a liar. I'm standing in front of you right now telling you, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, historical fact, he walked out of a tomb and he's alive. And you know what that means, number four? You're not in your sins. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to carry your sin around anymore. I can tell, and I've felt it. There are people right now in this room, you are punishing yourself for something in your past. You're trying to pay for it. You're carrying the guilt. You have memories, and you keep taking them with you into the future. But someone died for those things. So why are you carrying them? On Friday night at the Good Friday service, we had this powerful service, and there was a moment where Pastor Derek, everyone had a nail, and they came forward, and it was basically what I'm talking about. He said, leave your sins at the cross. And the shame, the guilt, and people would drop, the cross was laying right here. People were dropping the nails. You could hear the clink. It was so powerful. And then I watched Derek. He was seated right here, and he wanted to be a part of the action, so he took out his nail, and he threw his nail and I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. His nail went flying through the air, and when it landed, it landed on the cross with the spike down, it went and it stuck in the cross right where one of the arms would have been. And I was like, Jesus is alive. <laughs> People in the front row were taking off their shoes. We're on hollowed ground, you know, and the nail's just in the cross. And you know why that matters? That's what Jesus did to your sin. It was nailed to him on the cross. So why do you keep nailing it back on yourself? Someone took it. And then he walked out of the grave free. And now you can be forgiven. But only if he's raised from the dead. Amen? And finally, there is hope beyond the grave. There's hope. This life is not the only one you have to look forward to. I'll close with a quote from a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata, some of you know her. She's a Christian scholar, author, teacher. 
When she was 17 years old, she suffered a terrible injury. She dove into murky water that was more shallow than she realized and paralyzed herself from the shoulders down. She spent 55 years in a wheelchair. And in her book, Hope, the Best of All Things, here's what she said. I've often said that I hope in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me and have it there next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will stand up on resurrected legs and I will be next to the risen Lord Jesus. And I will feel those nail prints in his hands and pointing to that wheelchair, I will say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he'll recognize me as one of those who shared in the fellowship of his sufferings. He'll see that I was one who identified with him in suffering. So my gratitude will not be hollow. And then I will say, Lord Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you, and the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think I would have ever known the glory of your grace were it not for the weakness of that wheelchair. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And now, if you want, you can send that thing off to hell. <laughs> My God. One day, paralysis will be no more. One day, cancer will be no more. One day, broken hearts will be no more. One day, starvation will be no more. One day, human trafficking will be no more. One day, sexual assault will be no more. One day, suffering and death itself will be no more. And there's only one reason for that. Somebody killed it all, and then he walked out of a tomb, and his name is Jesus, and he is alive. And the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I hope you do. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we receive every word of this. So many in this room I know who believe with every fiber of their being that Jesus, you're alive. But also I know there are some who are struggling, wrestling. They're new. Maybe they're newer to a church community or they're newer to faith and they're thinking and wrestling. And I want to say, God, thank you so much for each and every one of those. I hope they know how much we love them. They're a part of our family. And I know there are some who've come in and they're really, there's a lot of skepticism. Maybe there's some who have Jesus at a distance today. I'm so thankful for each and every one of those as well. God, would you meet us here in this moment? Speak to our hearts. For those who are carrying guilt, shame, brokenness that you've paid for, may this be the day finally where we put our faith in the crucified and risen Christ, believe in him, and walk away free. 
And so we praise you, Lord, for truth. We praise you for evidence. We praise you for meaning and power. We praise you for hope. We look forward to a future resurrection body. We look forward to eternity of worshiping you. Thank you, Jesus. And all because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so we honor him and we praise him. And it's in his name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you, River West. We're gonna, this next song, you can remain seated. We're gonna receive the offering as we, as we worship. I'll come back up in a couple minutes and share a couple closing thoughts. But will you, even as you're seated, sometimes just because the sermon ends doesn't mean God's done talking to you. And so listen for the spirit, whatever he might be saying, and we'll receive the offering and we'll sing a bit. Let's worship the Lord.